In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. The Detroit Pistons select Sekou Dubuya. The boy gets run off the line. Down the lane, my goodness. Look at that. Pistons come right back at him with a bruise. Oh, oh, oh. Jam. Dishes to Luke for the long gun. It goes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pistons versus Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson, and tonight I'm joined by Omari Sankofa, the beat writer for the Pistons at the Detroit Free Press. What's up, Omari? Hey, Laz. I'm, I'm happy to be on here, man. Uh, you know, this is the illustrious Detroit Bad Boys pod. I've been, you know, I've been following the Detroit Bad Boys for like nine, ten years. So, you know, it's kind of funny finally being on here as the Pistons beat writer after just kind of following casually for so long. Yeah, I mean, like you, like you're a native Detroiter. Like you're from Detroit. You've been. I know you're not a Pistons fan. They make you like renounce your fandom. You place your hand on top of the free standards and styles, and like officially swear an oath to never be a fan <laughs> again when you become a beat writer. But like you, you were a fan of the Pistons for quite some time. So I know, like this is uh this is really cool. Yeah, no, I mean this this job definitely beats you know whatever fandom you have out of you just because you you know just takes so much of your headspace, but. Yeah, I mean, born and raised in Detroit, grew up watching the Pistons. You know, remember very vividly watching uh, Tayshawn's block, uh, I guess, 16 years ago now, you know, which happened when I was a kid. So that was probably one of the you know first kind of big fandom moments for me, uh, you know, watching off my dad and, and brother and uncles. And uh, yeah, you know, I think definitely watching the Pistons growing up is what inspired me to become a sports writer. And, you know, it really has been cool moving back home, especially during a pandemic, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, always, always good to get back closer to the family during a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, my first day at the free press was April 6th. So, you know, I was like moving right when everything shut down and it's just kind of funny in hindsight. Uh, when I first started weighing this job, it was like all-star weekend. I want to say, you know, and everything was very normal, you know, and then I accepted and then really go very catches the virus like a day later and everything just kind of, Shuts down, Shuts down, you know, and then I asked my friends not in Memphis, you know, because for those who are not familiar, I covered the Memphis Grizzlies for the athletic before this job. And, uh, you know, I hadn't seen my friends in Memphis for like three weeks because of the virus. And then I have to awkwardly ask them, hey, can you help me, can you help me move? <laughs> you know, I don't have any masks or PPE or anything, but, you know, I got to move. So, yeah, it was weird. But at the same time, but a huge blessing to move back. Uh, right when it hits so you know it's been an uh, interesting but fun year yeah yeah i'm i'm happy to have you on this is the this is your debut on either one of the podcasts that uh that we do over here and so and this is a long time coming um you know you've been somebody i've talked to about the pistons for for years now and uh even before like you were in your official capacity as the uh, as a pistons beat writer and so, like, I'm I'm really happy for you, and uh, I'm I'm glad to have you back on uh, on coverage in Michigan. Now, now, with that said, you know, okay, let's get this out of the way. 
Who plays the most minutes in preseason? Davidas, Servitas, Wayne Ellington, or Leangelo Ball? Uh, I'm going to go with Savitas just because, you know, the Pistons, I've sort of invested the most into him. Uh, you know, I know Leangelo would probably get the most preseason views, but... Uh, I was going to say, that's really bad for the content. Yeah, you know, from a, a content standpoint, you know, I think Pistons would probably, or at least the Pistons broadcasters would prefer Leangelo, but... Uh, you know, but my sense is that, you know, it's just a, a, a camp deal. You know, he'll get a chance to kind of prove himself. And, you know, Dwayne Gellingson's a, a, a vet. You know, you kind of know what you're getting in him. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's the Savitas era. Let's, let's go all in on this. You know, he's sort of a coat, a coat legend already, you know, just because of his path here. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he looks. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard that he wanted to come over last year. And like, you know, they very clearly were still pushing for the playoffs last year. They didn't really have a space for, you know, what was, I think, then like a 19-year-old, like 170-pound kid from Europe to, to come over and play any minutes for them. And so it'll be interesting to see how far he's progressed in his game over the last like 18 months or so. Uh, we already got like the tweet from John Hollinger about how he scored like one point in his really <laughs> league game. And so that uh, that's not going to that that's not going to endear him to a lot of people. The fact that a lot of people kind of perceive him as being uh, a, a replacement or like a, 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 a the guy who like supplanted like their selection of Kevin Porter Jr., which is like a little weird, but uh, it's like through the daisy chain. Um, and then there's the whole thing with uh, the agent uh, being, you know, uh, the son of the vice president of the Palace Sports Entertainment Group. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have been like just frustrated with the idea of Dervidas, but I think that it's entirely possible like he comes over and uh, he ends up like a nice role player or he doesn't. Right. And it's a, it's a second round pick. Like those, those don't pan out all the time. Right. You got kind of spoiled with, with Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas coming out of the same uh, second round pick class. For sure. And you, you test on it, but he just kind of came in to the franchise in a weird way because the Pistons swung a trade to get a first round pick, which is always good. And then they traded the first round pick and some of the assets that got with that pick to move down, which you don't see as often. And then, you know, of course, you know, he's a guy that you know, I don't think any fans really do much about it. So uh, definitely it's sort of an odd way to acquire a second round pick, but I think he has a very straightforward path this season, which is if he can shoot, you would expect him to probably get some run just because yep. this roster does not have a lot of shooting. And he'll have to do everything else too. You know, he'll have to prove he can hold his own defensively, but he's got decent size. And if he could shoot, you know, I think he'll always be in the mix. So uh, compared to last season, you know, I think the, the optics of him coming in are different because this team is young. Uh, this team already has four rookies and, you know, Sekou's younger than two of the rookies. So he comes in with no expectations and he could just play. So, uh, I think just just from a timing standpoint, it works out pretty well. Yeah, that, that makes sense. We I want to I'm gonna loop back to Leandro Ball for the content. Um, he was signed in the middle of day two of media week. Very convenient. For the best, super super convenient for you. Actually, how how is the job different for you doing all these uh, these press availability things over Zoom instead of in person like uh, like you would normally do? It's been unique because so much of the job is getting to know people in person. Uh, those right. hallway conversations, those locker room conversations, it's definitely, I would say it's more of a challenge when a lot of the people that you need to get to know and, you know, and, and talk to and people can help you do your job better, um, you know, haven't actually met you in person yet. 
and you know probably will not be able to do so until maybe at best next April. So it's been unique, but you know I've also felt pretty fortunate because yeah, I feel like people have been very accommodating, and uh, you know I'm definitely grateful for that. And um, and fingers crossed, knock on wood, you know this is hopefully the first and last time I will ever be in this situation. <laughs> so you just kind of roll with the punches and. You know, it is what it is, right? We're all kind of dealing with the same thing. Uh, Pistons have five returning players, and one of those guys is a two-way. So, you know, we're all sort of on the same playing field now. So, uh, yeah, you know, just just thankful that, you know, this job's definitely going pretty well, you know, compared to how I felt coming into it, just because, you know, I don't think switching jobs during a pandemic is ever a good feeling. But, you know, but it's going better than expected, and we'll have some basketball games soon. So nowhere to go but up. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually, that like, you know, the, the the team itself is brand new, right? It's not like, uh, you know, because you don't have any relationships with these guys or you're you're kind of shut out with relationships where these guys are they're They're more familiar with other guys than they are with you. It's like, well, everybody's on the team's brand new. They're learning everybody in the Detroit media space, like for the first time. So it's like, yeah, and, and it's all through Zoom, right? It's all we're not having those those hallway conversations, other side those side conversations, and so it's it's weird for the entire roster in a way that uh, uh, makes it probably less uh, obvious that like you're you're new as well, right? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, you look at guys from last season who are going to prominent roles, and it's you know it's Blake, it's Derek. Um, we'll see how much time Seku actually spends with the Pistons. You know, I don't I don't know if any of us really know what to expect as far as the G League side this season, but. You know, it does even the playing field in a sense. And it's kind of funny for me because when I started covering the Grizzlies two years ago, like the exact same thing happened. You know, it was like Mike and Mark. And um, like they traded Mark before the end of that season. Uh, they traded Mike that offseason. Then they drafted a point guard and Ja. And like the entire roster changed within my first year. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that's just like a me thing, but, you know, it's definitely nice to take jobs and then the team kind of acquiesces and, uh, even as a playing field for you so so I'm two for two in two years so you know I don't you know I'm not I'm, I'm not gonna take credit but at the same time it's like you know I'm, I'm I'm not complaining about it you know all right so like in four years like when you leave like I'll I'll expect the team to like just be completely different you take a job in like California or something and uh, we'll we'll start another rebuild under a different uh, GM in front office that's exactly what's going to happen you know, Killian <laughs> is going to be a superstar and he's going to one out for some reason and then oh yeah you know, and they're just as soon as I leave they're just going to blow it up so you know <laughs> we'll be able to look back on this pod like Omari and last caught it you know December 2nd 2020 we we said this now and you know exactly what's going to happen in four years yeah so actually I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your time in Memphis because uh the situation kind of strikes me as a little bit similar. The Grizz, like last year, they came into the year with low expectations and um, managed to like build a team that was very competitive night in and night out. And they basically like fought their way to the doorstep of the playoffs in the bubble. Um, do you think the Pistons are a team kind of in that same mold, like mentally, maybe not like skill wise, but mentally? Or do you think that, uh, you know, they're just going to be like in a, in a worse spot? because they lack anyone with the uh, with like the immediate upside of like a John Morant? I think it's similar to Memphis for sure. Uh, the one thing that is similar from the two teams is that, you know, the Grizzlies, of course, they blew up their roster last summer and they went right. into the season with low expectations. You know, you could go back and look at a lot of the, the power rankings from that time and you'll see 
sort of like the Pistons now, uh, people expected the Grizzlies to be a bottom five team. And they needed a lot to go right to be in the mix for the AFC. Uh, you know, Ja, of course, coming out of the gate extremely strong and being the rookie of the year helped. But they also had good veterans that sort of steadied the ship. Uh, you had Jonas Valanciunas and uh, Tyus Jones. Like, those guys were really great in the locker room. They really stepped up and uh, kind of led the young guys. And I do see some similarities with the Pistons now. Um, not just beyond them taking a, a point guard pretty high in the draft and Killian Hayes. Uh, you have a guy in Jeremy Grant who, uh, regardless of what he's getting paid, he is a high-level role player, and he raises the floor for this team. Uh, if Blake has a bounce-back season, then obviously that's going to make them significantly better. Uh, you know, the rookies, you know, especially I think Killian and, and, and Sadiq Bay are guys who could be ready to contribute early. Uh, Killian having overseas experience and uh, Blake, you know, extremely high on Sadiq, said he's one of the most complete rookies he's ever seen. So uh, the Pistons will need some luck, like like any team, but they don't necessarily strike me as a team that's guaranteed to be bad just because you have guys in Blake and Jeremy and Derrick Rose and a couple of rookies who uh, can definitely have a chance to help this team compete next season. Did that surprise you what Blake said about Sadiq Bay? That struck me just like very clearly. Like I, I was trying to think of like previous rookies that Blake has played with. Right. And like, no one really like stood out to me as like, Oh, like, I can see why Blake would uh would be so like overtly Im- impressed with like this guy, but uh, to say what he did about Sadiq was like really notable. Well, what'd you what'd you take away from that? I was surprised by it too, and I think it makes sense just from the standpoint that Sadiq comes in as one of you know the better two way players in college basketball last season. You know he's six eight, he defended well, uh, he shot forty five percent from three, so. I guess on paper, he's a guy that should have a pretty high floor coming in. But to say he's one of the most complete rookies I've ever seen is, I mean, extremely high high praise. And I think it definitely does raise some expectations for Sadiq a little bit, especially as a 19th pick. I mean, that's just an incredible thing for, for Blake to say. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely curious to see how Sadiq looks coming into the preseason and in the camp because that's, again, very high praise coming from Blake Griffin. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I had not really factored in Sadiq like to the rotation when I'm thinking about what the team is going to look like uh, on the floor in like these preseason games, which happen in nine days, which is crazy. Um, and like I really even like considered what Sadiq could offer. And, you know, Blake saying that made me like reevaluate what, uh, what I'm expecting to see. Like I was putting Sadiq up against, uh, you know, like Josh Jackson and, and Seku for, for backup wing minutes. And and now I'm like, you know, I'm considering like maybe he's maybe he's ahead of those other guys. Um, you know, Josh Jackson is somebody you have like a little bit of experience with because he was in Memphis last year. Uh, similarly, uh, what kind of uh, what kind of things do you think we can expect out of Josh? Do you think he's ready to like build on the success that he found in Memphis in the G League and at the professional level last year? I think he's in a good situation to surprise people for sure. Um, it's it's really hard to put into words just how weird last season was for him. Uh, you know, for a guy who, you know, two years prior was the fourth pick in the draft, and then he straight into Memphis last summer, and like two months after, he is assigned to the G League. Um, you know, you just don't see guys who are drafted that high end up in the, in the G League so fast. And the way it happened was sort of odd, too, because the Grizzlies announced all of their signings and acknowledged them on social media, the whole nine, and they were just pretty silent with Josh. So 
you know, you talk to people and it's like, where are they going to cut him? Like, what's what's going on here? Because he was obviously a guy that came in with some baggage. Uh, you know, he got in trouble in Phoenix a few times and mm-hmm. um, and just on the court, he just didn't really live up to his draft position. So uh, the Grizzlies came up with a plan for him and they told him, uh, we're going to assign you to the Memphis Hustle and we just want you to show up every day, be on time, stay out of trouble, uh, you know, prove that you're serious about this. And he bought in. Uh, he spent probably three or four months with the G League and was great. I mean, he averaged 20 points, shot the ball really well, uh, you know, just passed it really well, played both sides. Uh, he looked like the fourth pick of the draft. And it's the G League, obviously, but he certainly looked the part of a player who was drafted that high. And then once he was caught up, it took him some time to get acclimated. But toward the end of the season, uh, Grizzlies were a little bit banged up. Jaron was hurt. Uh, Brandon Clark was hurt. And he stepped in, and he played pretty well. Uh, he averaged 16 points, shot the ball well again. Uh, just looked like an overall good utility guy. So, you know, you look at this Pistons team that is sort of weirdly built, in the, like very heavy on centers, not quite enough shooting. If he could come in and just be a league average shooter, defend well, and keep the ball moving, that he could definitely carve out a run on this team. And he's home. Uh, he talked a lot today about being home and growing up a Pistons fan. Uh, so this is a great situation for him. And, you know, I think he's got everything he needs to sort of build off of what he showed last season. So uh, I actually pitched, I, you know, I wrote it, I think in a mailbag a few months ago, somebody asked me about Josh. And, you know, I thought it made sense for the Pistons if they want young guys with upside. And I think Josh just fits that mode really well. So, uh, good spot for him. Uh, Troy seems to believe in him, and we'll see what he does. Do you think they have a plan in in place for him already, like they had in Memphis? Probably not to the same extent. Um, yeah, M- it, more like more like what they had in place for Christian Wood last year, maybe. Right. Like I think they're going to empower Josh. I think they're going to give him an opportunity to prove himself. Uh, you know, Dwayne spoke highly of him yesterday. Trey spoke highly of him today. And, you know, it seems pretty clear that Josh wants to be here. So I do think that they're going to give him a chance. And I do think that, uh, you know, they, they believe in him and they believe in his talent. Um, you know, they they signed him to a, a pretty healthy contract for a guy who spent significant time in the G League last season. So, you know, it's a pretty good vote of confidence for what he can do. Yeah, I did. I did see that he signed for the full room exception. And that was a little bit of a head scratcher. But I get, that lines up with everything else that they've done this offseason, right? They've. They have uh, appeared to uh, they've appeared to not really place a like huge marginal value on uh, like uh, on value itself, right? They just they have identified the guys that they think will be ready to contribute and they want on the roster, and they've been willing to pay whatever it takes to get those guys in Detroit. Uh, you know, Troy Weaver got asked about that today a little bit. Uh, did you find his answer like satisfactory? Yeah, I mean, I think when you just look at their offseason moves as a whole, um, the only way you can really justify some of the money they gave out is that they just really wanted these guys. And I think there's consistency in their moves in that they are clearly operating on a two- to three-year plan. Uh, Josh is mm-hmm. on a two-year deal. Mason's on a three-year deal. Uh, Jeremy's on a three-year deal. Uh, two summers from now, uh, you know, I guess the, the hope and expectation is that Jeremy and Mason will, will be on pretty good expiring contracts, um, which for Jeremy especially, I, you know, I think that $20 million is pretty fair for what he can do when you look at what some of the other elite role players in the league signed. So, um, yeah, I think this, this offseason basically had two goals. One, pay to get the guys that you think fit the locker room well and can set a good example on the court and off it. 
and two, just sort of create this environment for the rookies to drive in because at the end of the day, the Detroit Pistons are not going to be a contender if they don't draft well. Uh, there's no player they could have signed this offseason that would change that. There's no trade they could have made that would sign that. They need Killian, Sadiq, Saban, and Isaiah to reach their potential. So, um, you know, create that environment. Uh, you know, invest in the rookies, give them time to grow and see where you're at two or three years from now. So there's logical consistency there. And we'll see how it, it pans out. But I don't think they've, outside of the dead money, like there's really not a move here that I just really dislike. Like I would say, I'm probably a bit higher on their offseason than maybe the national average. Yeah, I was uh, I was talking to TJ McBride of uh, Rocky Mountain Hoops last week on this podcast. And he was like doing a really great job of pitching me on what, like in particular, Mason Plumley could bl- could bring to the locker room. And uh, I was like, well, and then I was looking at what other centers on the market got in free agency. And it's like, well, you know, like I, I don't necessarily like love the Mason Plumley contract, but like it looks like the the going rate for a big man that you actually wanted to get was like, you know, eight million, nine million dollars. Uh, Aaron Baines got like, you know, Aaron Baines got like, uh, well, he got like 7.5, right. uh, Serge Ibaka got like nine Montrez Harrell got like nine, which I think like that was, that was a real shocker to me. Um, actually maybe not so much after some of the stuff that came out in the, uh, athletic today about, uh, the Clippers locker room situation, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, who else? Uh, Spurs center signed yeah, for like nine million a year yeah yeah robin lopez got like 7.6 and like he didn't play at all last year right and so like the Plumley deal is not like so offensive to me on its face and and the other thing with jeremy grant like you were saying like i think there will definitely be a market for jeremy grant if it doesn't work out in detroit right like some team will be uh, as evidenced by the fact that denver like tried to match that 20 million dollar a year contract uh, like I definitely think that uh, if you if it doesn't work out in Detroit, like you can trade Jeremy Grant to a contender, and uh, they can think of him as kind of like a role player piece that unlocks the a deep playoff run for them. But Troy Weaver sounded really high on Jeremy in uh, in his remarks today, um, and you sound like you're also kind of like in that same vein. What about what about uh, Jeremy Grant's game? Kind of gives you the confidence to to be higher on him than other people are. I think even if Jeremy Grant is a finished product, a guy who can defend one through five like he can and shoot 39% from three is a valuable player. And players who can do that get paid. Um, You know, you see Gallinari, who is not nearly as good of a defender, but, you know, obviously is a better offensive player, but also about five years older and has more of an injury history. Uh, Got $21.5 million a year from Atlanta. Uh, Bertans got close to $20 million to stay in you know, with the Wizards, and he's a, a pure shooter. Uh, you know, he can't defend like Jeremy Grant can. So uh, so when you look around the league, I mean, even Marcus Morris got $16 million a year. Um, that's just a going rate for guys who could do what Jeremy Grant can. So, you know, Denver was ready to pay him what the Pistons offered because you can't replace that. Uh, Robert Covington's probably one of the few guys who uh, checks those same boxes. And he's on a cheaper contract, but he's also underpaid. Uh, you know, if he hit free agency this year, he probably would have signed something similar. So if Jeremy Grant... And he's been traded twice in like the last like eight months because his skill set is in such high demand. Yeah, exactly. So I just, you know, I was, I'm a little surprised that so many people were down on Jeremy Grant's contract because when you look around the league, that's the going rate for guys who can do that. 
um, you know, what you think a guy like that should get is not what guys like that are getting. So, you know, it just seems like there's a disconnect between how, you know, people are valuing these players and how teams are valuing them. So, you know, regardless of if the Pistons can benefit from an elite role player like Jeremy Grant, you know, the reality is that uh, the odds are probably pretty strong that they could come off of that deal in two years if they want to. Um, but beyond that, you know, if he does get better, then of course he's worth the contract. And uh, he played for OKC for for two years. And, you know, Trey Weaver saw him in, in practice behind the scenes. Uh, he was the fourth option at best for the Nuggets last season. So, you know, it's not like he was in a position where he could showcase his full game. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I think even if he's a finished product now, his contract is fine. And he does make the Pistons better. So at the end of the day, if the contract is movable, it's not bad, right? You know, the only bad contract is a contract you can't move without attaching assets to. And I don't think that's what the Pistons are looking at right now. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. Because Lord knows, if you're a Lions fan, there are not going to be that many opportunities for you to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. You go to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, say that three times fast, so that you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria so you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move just as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try out Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's their best offer available anywhere. You go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. One thing that I did want to ask you about was uh, something one of your uh, competitors and, and co-workers wrote. Did you see uh, James Edwards' piece in The uh, Athletic about uh, Blake Griffin's like kind of comeback season? 
you, you share his optimism about the way uh, Blake Griffin could return this year? Yeah, he did. And, uh, and, and James asked that, that question and uh, Blake gave like a, an A plus response. Um, like I wish I had it in front of me right now. Cause it was just such a great quote, but like, I, but I do agree with James in the sense that Blake has a phenomenal track record for coming back from injury. Uh, you can look at every season where he's come back from whatever injury he's had, whether it was, uh, his knee when he was a rookie or uh, when he broke his hand, he's always come back better. Um, obviously, he's 31, and you know you, you could probably only have so many knee injuries until it begins to catch up to you. But I do agree that I think Blake Griffin has probably been written off a little bit more than he should be just because he's changed his game so much that, you know, it's not like he's relying on dunking anymore. Uh, you know, he's a great playmaker for a forward. Uh, he's a really good shooter. Uh, even if he comes back 85% as good as he was two years ago, uh, you know, that's still one of the better for us in the Eastern Conference. So we'll have to wait and see. But I, de- I like I definitely agree with James in a sense that uh, Blake probably deserves more of the benefit of the doubt than he's gotten so far. Yeah, I, I thought what was telling to me was that both Dwayne was like, like Blake's ready to go. And uh, I don't remember really him saying that last year. I could be wrong about that. I have to go back and check. But it did sound like they were trying to be cautious with Blake out of the gate last year. And we saw, you know, why, understandably. And uh, the other thing Dwayne said was like, you know, with all the ball handling we've got in the backcourt, we don't feel like we have to dump the ball into Blake, uh, you know, like like they've done in the past. And I think that is probably a key to keeping Blake healthy. I think Blake got worn down, right? You can kind of see it as the as the season went on in 2018-19. Um, he was like, he's able to, uh, accommodate or like, uh, overcome some of that just because like, like you said, the skill level is so high and he's not the same, he's not the same type of like explosive leaper that he was, but he's just become so much more skilled that that's less of a factor. But uh, at the same time, like you don't want to just, uh, run your offense where you're giving him the ball, uh, from 18 feet on the left block and like telling him to go get you a bucket, like six possessions in a row either. Right. And with the kids, with with the rookies, with Seku, with ja, with guys like Josh Jackson, and even like Jeremy Grant, who's uh, 26, I believe, um, there's going to be you know opportunities for for them as well to to kind of show what they've got, and that takes that should take a lot of pressure off of Blake uh, in in terms of like what he's expected to to carry like from an offensive load perspective. I do think Blake comes into a pretty good situation where uh, you know with the Pistons, obviously not gunning for the playoffs to the same extent that they were two years ago. Uh, they won't have to ride Blake as hard. And, uh, you know, and Dwayne did say that the minutes restriction conversation is one that they would have to put off because when they had lunch a few weeks ago, Blake just didn't want to hear it. So, uh, you know, so personally and speaking for myself, like I would not be surprised at all if Blake still comes into the season with some sort of minutes restriction, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just because, you know, if the goal is to get Blake back to 100%, and he has not played live basketball in, you know, about a year. Uh, he had surgery on his left knee, I believe, on January 6th of this year. And, you know, preseason tips off in nine days. So, you know, that's 11 months of not playing live basketball. Um, you know, I would expect that there's still a chance that they could ease him in. Uh, but he does come into a situation where, you know, he does not have to carry a huge load right off the bat. Uh, you have Derrick Rose, uh, the ball would be in Killian Hayes' hands a lot. 
And I covered DeLon Wright a little bit in Memphis uh, the season before last. And Oh, yeah, he was in Memphis, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And he had, it was, he had like a stretch where like the Grizzlies were so battered at the end of that 2018-19 season that uh, like there were games when like I think DeLon Wright and Ivan Rabb were both starting. And DeLon Wright ended up having like two triple doubles in a week <laughs> because <laughs> he was playing like 38 minutes a night. But he's a really versatile guy. Like, you know, I'm not saying he's going to come in, you know, like Russell Westbrook. But, you know, but he's a really versatile player, uh, pretty good defender. He shot the ball well last season, uh, good with the ball in his hands. Uh, and the Pistons do have a lot of ball handling in that backcourt. So uh, Dwayne Casey should be able to utilize that, especially early on in the season, uh, depending on how Blake looks and how much they want to ride Blake early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh... I want to ask you about Seku. Seku had like a really short media conference, but I think that's fairly typical for Seku. Uh, but he's in a he's in a weird spot with the roster reconstruction, right? Like we've talked about all these guys who, um, even in like the today's NBA where size and uh, length are prioritized, like he plays similar positions to Josh Jackson, Jeremy Grant, Blake Griffin. Uh, he played a lot of four last year. Um, you know, Sadiq Bay. Uh, even in you know we he's a he's a, we think of him as a as a good shooter but he was an inconsistent shooter last year so there's even spots in where it would be better to get a guy like a like a Zima Kylik on the floor just to just to get some more shooting um what do you what do you expect out of, out of Seku going into this season I think he's in a really sort of odd spot I think because for one uh, the Pistons are absolutely loaded at what you know is probably his best position uh, which is power forward uh, you know, Jeremy Grant's played mostly power forward uh, his last two or three seasons. Blake, obviously, is a power forward. And you have other guys in Josh Jackson and Sadiq Bey who could probably play that position as well. So, um, you know, either you slot uh, Sekou down, you know, which he's 6'9", uh, you know, not a great shooter at this point, so that's probably not likely. Or what's more likely is that he's just going to have to prove that he can compete and earn minutes, you know, kind of like last season. Uh, he was with the Grand Rapids Drive to start last year, and he really didn't become a featured player in the Pistons rotation until they, you know, until Blake was hurt and other guys were injured and uh, Dwayne Casey's hand just got kind of forced and they really leaned into giving the young guys a, a, a chance. So, you know, I think this season is probably back to what the Pistons would prefer, where they don't have to rely on Sekou more they, than they need to and they can use the G League and then just your average practices to develop him and, you know, kind of keep him out of the spotlight until he proves that he could be a positive contributor on on the floor. So given $60 million to Jeremy Grant, who is you know, a forward through and through, tells me that the Pistons do not want to give Sekou uh, too much responsibility yet. You know, if he's really good and he earns those minutes, then it's great, but Overall, I think from the Pistons standpoint, it's a win-win because either he develops behind the scenes or he has a breakout season and he kind of forces his way into the rotation. So that's how they want to operate. And uh, and we'll see how Sekou looks. You know, he had a good offseason uh, last year. I know he had some injury issues during his offseason and he came in kind of cold. So uh, his conditioning is a lot better, according to him and Dwayne Casey. And yeah, and we'll see how he looks during camp and, and preseason. But I definitely think he should be better than he was last year. Yeah. That would be – I think a lot of fans would be disappointed if he ended up in Grand Rapids for any like uh, long period of time during the season. But I think if that's the, if that's the plan for him and the team is fine with that, uh, like that's okay. 
It's, and is if uh, yeah, the thing you have to worry about with that is like, is he okay with going back down to Grand Rapids? Slash, uh, there were times last year, even in like his early time in uh, in G League, where he looked like just entirely too good to be on a G League court, right? But uh, that wasn't always the case. It needed to be more consistent, and so you understood like why he was in the G League. But yeah, I gotta I gotta say, man, like it's it's that's a tough pitch to to fans. It's like, hey. We uh, we reunited these two French guys. One's going to start. One's in the G League. Like, don't don't worry about the discrepancy. No, you know it, it. It definitely is. And you know, one thing I know about Pistons fans is that they really like watching the young guys play. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter how you came in. You know, like it just doesn't matter. You know, you want to see the young guys play. But Dwayne Casey had an interesting quote a couple months ago when the Pistons were introducing their their new G League team, the Motor City Crews. You know, which of course they'll uh, start play. Uh, next season, uh, he said he did not want there to be a negative perception when guys play in the G League. You know, he wants that to be a positive thing. Uh, obviously, he comes from the Toronto Raptors, and they've had great success with Raptors 905. Uh, you know, you look at OG and Newby and 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 Pascal Siakam, uh, Fred Van Fleet. All those guys spent time in the G League, and they're all better for it. And the Pistons want the exact same thing here in Detroit. You know, they do not want. They're young players spending time in the G League and for fans to see that as a negative, um, you know, of course, with the G League now or what it will be when the crews are here in Detroit, uh, there's going to be synergy from top to bottom from the schemes and everything. So uh, from the Pistons standpoint, it doesn't matter if Seku's playing with the crews or with the drive or with the Pistons because he's getting the same experience either way. Right. And if he's in the G League, he's actually going to get more playing time than he probably would with the Pistons. So. Uh, you know, I think one thing fans for, forget is that a lot of the development happens like during non-NBA action. Uh, you know, it's during workouts, it's during practice, uh, you know, drills, all that stuff. And, you know, teams generally have a better sense of where players are than, than fans do, obviously, because they're they're seeing the player a lot more behind the scenes. So, um, you know, it's not like a video game where you have to play to get back. You know, <laughs> you, know so, you know, it's not like my career where, you know, if you're sitting on a bench, you're literally not leveling your, your, your stats up. Um, <laughs> Seku, you know, all the young guys are getting better, whether they're playing or not, or hopefully they are, you know, and if they're not, then obviously that's you know, a problem. Yeah. Then that's a, a problem. So, you know, if Seku isn't, isn't playing, you know, that doesn't mean that he should play to get better, you know, from the Pistons standpoint, it means that their process is working and when he's ready, he will get those minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what's going to be, you know how the G league season is going to go this year? I know G league is a loss leader, right? They, the G league frequently loses money. Um, and it's, it's an investment into like player development by the NBA, by the, uh, the governors of all 30 NBA or, 28 29 nba teams i forget how many teams have have g league affiliates at this point but uh like i i there was some whispers of like a bubble in atlanta like i i don't know like what the g league process is going to be for this uh weird covid season have you heard anything about that we're just gonna have to wait and see you know i think the league has been so preoccupied with just getting the nba going that you know everything else just kind of comes second so uh, I, I would expect some G League news soon, just because we're kind of up to the wire now. But yeah, uh, but but that's just a wait and see. Honestly, you know, I think I think the league's still sort of in the weeds of figuring out the best way to handle that. No, I mean that then like that's a good point, right? Because like the obviously the NBA makes more money for the league than the G League does. Um, but you know, I you know I just wondered. Uh, I, I figured I got to ask. You would know better than me, right? You have 
more inside info than I do. <laughs> and I would say that the league did announce today that the uh, their new G League team, the Ignite, are going to have a media conference tomorrow. So that would imply that they're going to have some semblance of a season. So, yeah, I mean, again, we just have to wait and see. But it definitely seems like the league is invested in figuring that part out. Yeah. Okay, so the one of the rookies that we haven't really talked about yet is Isaiah Stewart. Um, fans were really – he really won over the fan base in a way I didn't expect after uh, the rookie uh, press availability. Um, and, you know, the coaching staff in front office obviously kind of played up the the way that he is as a, as a human being, as a person, as a worker, uh, rather than kind of what he could p- potentially bring in uh, on-the-court skill um, you know, currently for the team. And obviously like with Mason Plumlee and Jaleel Okafor ahead of him, I don't think they're expecting, you know, anything great out of Isaiah Stewart right away. But uh, I got like, were, were you as impressed with Isaiah Stewart, the human being as uh, everybody else seemed to be? For sure. I mean, he was a really impressive interview. You know, I think he carries himself very well. And I think that if the Pistons took Sadiq with the 16th pick and Isaiah with the 19th pick, the perception would have been different, you know, I think because they took, you know, somebody who was sort of considered a traditional center, um, you know, with some other guys who were on the board who were highly regarded like Sadiq, uh, you know, like I know the Pistons like RJ Hampton, uh, you know, I think, I think that sort of unfairly colored the draft pick uh, just because of how the Pistons went about it. But, you know, I do know for a fact that not only did the Pistons really think highly of Isaiah Stewart, they wanted to get a center out of this draft. And Trey Weaver is a guy who still believes in the center position, obviously, <laughs> looking at, <laughs> yeah, looking at his, uh, yeah, what they've done. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I also think Isaiah Stewart may be a little bit better than he's been given credit for. Uh, you know, he shot the ball pretty well in high school. Uh, he dabbled with it in college. Um, he really is a great sc- uh, screener. Uh, you know, I think he's a better rebounder than he may have shown last season. Um, moves pretty well. Uh, you know, he strikes me as a guy who is going to have a pretty good NBA career. Um, you know, you can say what you want about the center position, how the league's trending, but there's always going to be a place for a center who can run the court as hard as he does, uh, screen as well as he does. He has a good post game, and you know, if, and if he can space the floor, then that's just the cherry on top. So, uh, you know, like I didn't dislike the, the, the pick at all. Uh, you know, I don't think Mason Plumlee or uh, Jaleel Okafor are the future of the center position for the Pistons and they clearly had a need and they addressed it. So uh, regardless of how they went about it, Stewart was one of the highly regarded centers in this draft and, you know, and they got their guy. So we'll see how that looks. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like he will at the absolute least have like one of those like great, like 11 year vet center careers. I just wonder um, again, like that comes back to value though. Like is drafting a guy who's going to be, a consistent center for 11 years but not really have a lot of like star upside is that what you want at 16 or 19 or or in the first round essentially from uh from your draft pick and you know i hadn't i hadn't heard that the team was interested in a long-term option at center but i I mean like when you looked at what they came into this season uh in the front court it it makes a lot of sense but uh but yeah i i we hadn't like heard that like isaiah stewart was going to be that guy but uh the piece is kind of definitely fell into place after uh after like seeing him and hearing him and uh like learning a little bit more about his game so i understand why they did it it was just a 
confusing on draft night, you know? For sure. And I think, you know, especially now, I think uh, using a first-round pick on a center is kind of like, you know, like an NFL team using a first-round pick on a, a running back. You know, like if it's not Saquon, there's probably a better use for it, um, you know, especially for a Pistons team that just needs star talent. Uh, you know, I definitely understand the desire for fans and maybe the expectation from some other people that uh, the Pistons would have swung for defenses a little bit more. But it really just does illustrate just how highly Trey Weaver thinks of Isaiah Stewart. And we all know that Trey Weaver comes in with a reputation for really being able to identify talent. Uh, you could go back, uh, I believe, seven years ago, uh, Stephen Adams came out of the 2013 draft. Um, you know, he went 12th. Not everybody had a, a lottery grade for him. And of course, that that worked out. So if Troy Weaver likes a guy, he's going to take him, and uh, you know, in time will tell if it works out. But yeah. you know, but they could have made a, a, a worse pick with this team pick, right? I mean, you know, the thing about drafts is that it's really hard to predict how guys will pan out. So, um, you know, so you know, I think Trey deserves the benefit of the doubt. You know, Killian Hayes, I think a lot of people would agree was a good pick. Sadiq Pay, a lot of people would agree was a great pick. So, uh, like those two, we'll see how this one works out. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't made the Stephen Adams connection, but you're very right in that people did not have like a lottery level grade on uh, Stephen Adams coming out of school, and that turned out that turned out great for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I, we we should kind of uh, trust Troy Weaver, the scout, in his uh, evaluation of talent. All right, Omari, uh, this has been great. I wanted to ask you one last question before we get out of here. Um, you've been a Pistons fan a long time. You've been on Twitter. A long time. If if I went back and searched the uh, Amari Sankofa Twitter feed from like 2010 to like 2014, <laughs> what uh what what's what are some of the Pistons takes you you think you would want back? Uh, man, it's it's really funny because I was texting James earlier and uh, you know I I, I kind of joked that you know if, if uh, Pistons Twitter wanted any dirt on me, you know they could probably search my name with any combination of player and. Uh, you know, probably find something that's aged horribly. So, uh, you know, like I, I like actually went back and tried to clean some of it up. But at the same time, I tweeted about the Pistons so much that, you know, at this point it is what it is. Uh, you know, I would say that, you know, I think that era of the Pistons was so haphazard that, you know, we all probably tweeted things that have aged terribly. And, uh, you know, I'm only human. You know, I make mistakes. You know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, last four years have been a lot better. So, you know, hey, you know, it is what it is. You know, I cannot, yeah. I cannot stress about the past. Uh, you know, my Twitter history is my Twitter history. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've probably got about 60,000 tweets. So, you know, the odds of me cleaning that up is uh, pretty slow. So, yeah, it is what it is. You know, we're just going to roll with the punches. And, uh, you know, if anyone wants to, you know, see my thoughts on on on, on Rodney Stuckey or Greg Myron from back in the day, it's all there. You know, and it's unfiltered. You know, probably cringy glory if I were to go back and look at it now. So, uh, you know, so that's 2020. You know, everything we ever thought, everything we ever did, there's some log of it somewhere. And um, you know, somebody followed the Pistons for a long time. Yeah, I threw some wild takes out there. So you know, this is yeah, an open in, in, invitation to Pistons Twitter. Have fun with it. <laughs> you know, last put be out there. So it is what it is now. No, nah, I mean, obviously, I I put you out there, but I was also going to confess my own sins, right? Like I've been on Twitter since like 2009, 2010. I have also tweeted some things that I did not mean. Like if anybody goes back and my Twitter history and uh, looks at what I tweeted on draft night in 2011, like you, you would obviously be able to use that against me. That, see, that's free information. I'm literally giving you a date and a time 
that you can like <laughs> use to cross-reference like what I've got in my skeletons about the Detroit Pistons. But like, yeah, you're right, right? Like it's it's been a decade and we all we all tweet things we don't mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the game's kind of changed now. Like I remember in 2014, Twitter still had sort of this you know, but like not like privacy, but it wasn't as big as it is now. And uh, yeah. you know, and now in the era of O takes exposed and uh you know, like the, the, the game's just changed. I mean, you know. Remember remember when you could like text to tweet like you could text like a 40 number to to tweet <laughs> i used to do that in high school before i had a smartphone you know back in like 2010 so <laughs> yeah i remember those days very well <laughs> yeah. i had a, i had like a i had like a fake blackberry that didn't have like a twitter app and like uh to avoid the data cap i would be like all right let's 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 fire off these texts and these are going to be tweets that's what we did i didn't have a blackberry but i had like it was either the palm pre or like you know one of those palm phones that had the keyboard and was kind of like a fake smartphone too so yeah man i've been getting i've been getting tweets off for 10 years man i've been you know i've been on twitter almost half my life so yeah, it's wild to think about all right omari thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it we're definitely gonna have to do this again in the future uh let people know where they can find you where they can find your work yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I've been wanting to do this pod for a while, so glad we finally got it done. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter at my first and last name. That's O-M-A-R-I-S-A-N-K-O-F-A. And you can find all of my work on uh, Freep.com, F-R-E-E-P. So, um, yeah, you know, it's been a fun year so far, and it's only going to get more fun once we get some actual basketball games to watch. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a good one. Uh, I'm glad to have you on the beat. Uh, welcome back to Detroit and uh, to the to the, uh, to the listeners. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. You can also find my work on uh, DetroitBadBoys.com. You can uh, listen to the other podcast I host, the Detroit Bad Boys Podcast, on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on. Uh, this has been Pistons versus Everybody, and we will talk to y'all next week. See you. <laughs>